0: The wind has grown cold. Creatures of the night stalk the shadows in the treeline. The sky is flecked with stars. Come, children, gather round and listen to a tale by the dancing fire. Welcome to the Story Circle. I am, as always, your humble storyteller. Today, we bring you a tale from Ireland about the dangers of displeasing the fair folk. Before we begin today, I wanted to extend a quick warning to our listeners. I try to tell tales that are not only fun and entertaining, but also used as a warning. Today's story does not have a happy ending, and therefore, some younger listeners may find it frightening. So, audience discretion is advised. Now that that unpleasantness is out of the way, gather round, find a comfortable place to relax, and listen, as we hear the warning of dealing with the puka. Now that the schoolmaster is abroad, there can be no question that the warm sun of education will, in the course of a very few years, dissipate those vapors of superstition whose wild and shadowy forms have, from time immemorial, thrown a mysterious mantle around our mountain summits, shed a darker horror through our deepest glens, traced some legendary tale on each unchiseled column of stone that rises on our bleakest hills, and peopled the green border of the wizard's stream, and sainted well with beings of a supernatural world. While, however, the Friends of Ireland cannot but be pleased in thinking that our peasantry should, from being better informed, renounce their beliefs in these idle tales of superstition, to which they unfortunately have for centuries been taught to listen with delight, to the exclusion of matters more rational and more important, it is to be hoped that the two prominent features of our antiquity as a nation will not be altogether lost sight of, namely, our vernacular language and those extraordinary legends which are esteemed by many as going a great length to prove from their remarkable analogy with the tales of the Eastern world, our Oriental descent. Although the good people still retain a more respectable footing, a peasant may now travel from Cape Clear to Kunamara without encountering the once-dreaded persona, a ghost. Even the puka, or Irish Goblin, has not for the last forty years, as far as our recollection serves, been known to shake the dripping ooze from his hairy hide to approach the haunts of men, or to practice by the conscious light of the moon, like the fairies and satyrs of heathen mythology, any of those unlucky tricks upon his mortal neighbors for which he has at one period so much dread in many portions of our island. The puka is described as a frisky, mischievous being, having such a turn for roguish fun as to induce him to be all night in wait for the carrow returning over the moor from the pleasures of the card table, or for the frequenter of wakes. His usual appearance was that of a sturdy pony with a shaggy hide. He generally lay couched like a cat in the pathway of the unfortunate pedestrian. Then, starting between his legs, he hoisted the unlucky wretch aloft from his crupper, from which no shin-breaking rushings by stone walls, no furious driving through whitethorn hedges or life-shaking plunges down cliff and quagmire could unseat him. The first crowing of the march cock respited the sorrowful rider, who generally ended this dear bought tour by a tremendous fling from the pooka's back into some deep bog hole or thorny brake, where ten thousand prickles reared their points to drink the blood of his bruised and broken flesh. On the other hand, he is reported to commiserate the lot of the benighted traveler, and there are some instances on record of his having gently trotted beneath the wayfaring cottages for many a mile to the neighborhood of the well-remembered cabin on the heath. Puka, in the county of Kerry. Was as its name imports, the haunts of one of these monsters, this fee or marsh belongs to Tem Dorney, a snug farmer whose ancestors for many years occupied the adjacent farm, and who honest men in that golden age never found it necessary to disturb the goblin in this favourite haunt by reclaiming his dreary abode. But when the farm which his grandfather tilled came into Tem Dorney's occupation a taste for improvement, and the necessary expenditure of a large and increasing family, induced him to cross-cut Puka by drains and ditches. And two summers had hardly passed when this haunt of the wild goose and the dark, mischievous goblin afforded a heavy sward of hay and firm footing for man and beast. The puka, thus beaten up and driven from the marsh, naturally turned his thoughts to the meditation of revenge on him who, with profane hand, rent asunder that sacred veil which the superstition of ages had woven round the dreaded spot. Tem was a painstaking, industrious peasant, and accustomed to traverse his farm every night, to ascertain that no neighboring cattle trespassed on his ground. One night, as he returned along the border of the marsh, he saw something shaped like a dark-colored, long-tailed pony lie in the narrow way, directly across his path. And before he could slip aside to shun the lurking apparition, the pooka for it was he, suddenly started between the legs of the terrified farmer and bore him off the ground. The goblin rushed along with the speed of the whirlwind, and Tim's first moment of reflection was employed in a fruitless attempt to fling himself to the ground but he found that some invisible hand had bound him to the back of his supernatural enemy. It would be tedious to recount the hard rubbings against stone walls and the wild rushings through the quickset hedges that Tim Dorney endured, while the rapidity of his flight completely deprived him of breath and utterance. At last they rushed towards a tall cliff, which frowned in horrid gloom above the deep river, and intercepted, by its giant bulk, the yellow light of the moon that gilt the mountaintops quivered in the rustling foliage of the trees, and, brightening in its advance, burnished the trembling waters with liquid fire. The puka pushed with unabated speed to the edge of the rock, then suddenly stopped, as if to add to the death pang of his anguished victim, by a previous view of the fearful height and the dark waters that curled among the pointed rocks below. Tim Dorney, now concluding that all of his life would be ended for him in the next plunge, yelled a shriek of unutterable dismay. The tall cliff returned the piercing sound, which with the scream of the startled wild fowl and the demon voice of the puka, that combined the mockery of human laughter with a wild, indescribable howl, blended in hard unison along the lonely glen. Whether the puka was satisfied with thus inflicting the pangs of a frightful death by anticipation, or that he possessed no power of human life, does not appear. But, in the next moment, he started from the fearful cliff and, returning through the deep ravines and tangled underwood to a furze break that skirted the border of a standing pool, plunged his unfortunate rider along the sharp bushes, happy in his deliverance, he heard the troubled waters of the dark pool resounding to the plunge of the returning puka. beheld his uncouth figure glance darkly along the moor till the lessening form grew dimly faint in the moonshine and the hurried splashing of his rapid hoof broke the silence of the night no more. Tim, as he may naturally be supposed, made the best of his way to the cottage, and being of true Milesian origin, determined to have his revenge upon his fiendish enemy. It was a fine night in the month of August, when Tim Dorney, having sufficiently recruited himself after his adventure of wild horsemanship, walked forth, like him that hath his quarrel just, doubly armed, his heels were furnished with a pair of long-necked spurs that bore rowels contrived at the next forge, which could go to rhinoceros to death. His hand wielded a loaden whip, so called from the handle being set with lead, and in the grasp of a strong man was capable of felling an ox. He whistled as he went, not for want of thought, for his mind was brooding over a plan of revenge against the puka who, according to his usual habit, started between the farmer's legs and bore him off. Tim, nothing loath of the abduction, just when the pooka was commencing his antics, twisted the lash of the whip round his hand and leveled such blows about the goblin's ears as would have crushed any skull made of mortal, penetrable stuff, while the sharp, rowled spurs gave ample revenge for the pointed insults of the preceding night. Dire were the tossings, deep were the groans of the puka during this unmerciful ride, but Tim Dorney clung to him like a monkey until the puka lay down, outmastered by his mortal antagonist. Next night, Tim walked abroad in quest of his acquaintance. He whistled his favorite air of Thamahula to lull the suspicions of the latter, who held aloof, quite on his guard, eyeing the other from his lurking place and breaking his usual taciturny by asking, in an uncouth voice, a well-remembered question. Have you sharp things on? Some years had now rolled their seasons round, and the pooka seemed to have entirely forgotten his antagonist, and his ancient dwelling of the marsh, when Tim Dorney had occasion to visit a gossip sister's cousin's brother-in-law, who had lately come home, after an absence of twenty-five years, on board a man of war. The credit side of the account sheet of this seaman's life was fraught with a copious list of wonders, all his travel's history, and a pension of nine pence a day. On the debtor side stood the loss of the right arm, the closing of his starboard eye, and sundry minor details received in the duty of boarding and cutting out with occasional tavern scuffles. Tim was highly delighted at the tough yarn of his old acquaintance, heard with gaping wonderment the recital of a battle with a French 74 off the island of Elba, where the relator lost his precious arm, an encounter with a sailing rover, which they sent down to Old Davy, and a dreadful storm near the island of Malta, of voyages along the coast of Tunis, where the people were all musician ears. by Tripoli, famous for its wrestlers, and a journey through the desert of Barca, where the inhabitants, men and women, had dog heads. The ale of a neighboring Shebeen greatly improved the sailors' turn for narration, and though the rain poured in torrents through the grass-grown roof of the cabin, yet the night flew on with songs and clatter, and I, the ale, was growing better. But Tim, being retained that night to form one of a party that had engaged to play at cards for two hundred of herrings, and as he was a famous corot, he could not disappoint his friends, who mainly depended on Tim's address to carry off the wager. The rain had now ceased, and after grasping the sailor's hand and requesting his company on a given night at Fia Puka, he departed. The moon, yet obscured by heavy clouds, cast a sad and sickly gleam along his path, which, winding round a precipitous descent, led into the bosom of a deep glen, where the turbid mountain torrents, had swelled into muddy waves the clear and beautiful brook that erewhile had bubbled with soothing murmurs along the yellow pebbles. There was no sound on the hill, save the plaintive howl of the watchdog, baying the broad, round moon. The night wind slightly shook the thin foliage of the decaying wood that surmounted the steep sides of the glen, and the hoarse, hollow sound of the roaring river that would seem to a fanciful ear, boding voice of the water fairy echoed along the distant banks. Though Tim Dorney's education had taught him to people the loneliest scenes with beings of another life, yet he passed unappalled to the brink of the torrent and sighed to behold that the force of the stream left him little chance of crossing over with safety. While he loitered along the bank, he was agreeably surprised to behold in a little cove, which led to a ford, a small horse resembling a carry pony. He was tied by a halter, had a piline susa, or straw saddle, on his back, and into one of the foldings of the straw saddle was stuck a white thorn plant. Tim, grateful for this opportunity of moving homeward, had already his leg raised to mount, when the titter of suppressed laughter behind a crag shook his heart with terror and excited his suspicion of the pony. He had not meddled with the white thorn stick, for he rarely went abroad by day or night, unprovided with a choice hazel sapling. This miraculous plant, against which nothing evil can contend, well serves this time of need. For retiring a little, Tim Dorney bestowed such a hearty salute on the guileful puka, for it was he, that the laughter sounds were changed into a wild howl, and as the puka disappeared along the troubled stream, the dashing waters deluged the sounding banks." but a time arrived when the preserving goblin wreaked cruel revenge on his hitherto fortunate adversary. It was approaching the 25th of March, when the farmers usually pay the rent, and Tem, who was extremely punctual in the payment of the half-year's gale, prepared to send a quantity of the last season's butter to Cork for that purpose. Wheel carriages were then totally unknown in that part of the country. The sliding car, indebted to no wheels, glided in the vicinity of the farms, while burdens were conveyed to more remote of places on the backs of horses. Five or six neighbors at this time were setting off to transmit the produce of the dairy to Cork, and Tim, with four stunted nags that usually ran wild and free on the mountains, fell into their company. Each little horse was generally laden with two full bounds of butter, but one or two, whose owners were unable to furnish the even number of firkins, carried a large stone placed on the opposite side to balance the single one. After journeying all night, on the next morning an accident happened to Tim Dorney in his way through Mill Street that seemed the type and forerunner of the evening's misfortune. As the carry Dragoons marched in long procession through the single street that composes the little town, the drummer of the Company of Soldiers, stationed in the barracks, beats the doubling drum with such furious heat as set all the ponies prancing beneath their riders and butter firkins. It happened that the nag on which Tim rode, by an unfortunate curvet on the slippery pavement, had his heels tripped up, and he fell under the load that lumbered on his back. The rider, whose Milesian irascibility was not much allayed at having the ace dent perpetrated by a redcoat, drew his trusty hazel from its resting place between the firkins, and by its instantaneous application to the drummer's head forced him to bite the dust. Though the drummer, for certain striking reasons, was no favorite with his comrades, yet a sentinel, who witnessed this insult to the cloth, leveled ten with the butt-end of his piece. The alarm being given, the soldiers rushed thick and fast to assault the carry Dragoons, and as quick rushed forth the townsfolk to their support. It will suffice to tell that after some broken heads and bayonet thrusts on both sides, the Redcoats retreated to their stronghold, And the triumphant Carionians were escorted by their faithful allies to the summit of Mushra Mountain. In the evening, the caravan came within view of Blarney Castle, while the last rays of the declining sun tinged its ivied turrets with golden hue. As the night breeze blew keen and fierce, our travellers halted at a small public house on the road to repel its chilling influence by a glass of spirits their delay was hardly for a minute, and they hastened to overtake the horses that moved at a slow pace before them. But suddenly, some strange disorder began to prevail among the animals. Some fled terrified along the road, others ran across the open common that extended to the right, and Tim Dorney's train, particularly, were observed to reach a fearful and perpendicular descent, from whose edge the road lay about twenty yards. Their terrified owner uttered a shriek of dread and despair while he beheld the misshapen, hairy Pooka urge his cattle to the steep cliff. It was only the work of a moment. They rushed as if by an irresistible impulse to the fatal brink, and, tumbling headlong, one instant beheld their shattering, lifeless corpses strew the bottom of the stream-worn ravine. The pointed rocks below staved the butter casks to pieces, and their contents were wholly lost. This was but the commencement of a train of misfortune to Tim Dorney. He was finally ejected from his snug, well-improved farm. Fia Puka, that had been in the occupation of his family for a 150 years before, passed into the hands of strangers. And the descendants of Tim Dorney are homeless wanderers on the earth. And such is the account which at this day is given by the remaining members of the family, of the commencement of their misfortunes. By the Dancing Fire is a Forest Ghost production. Be sure to like By the Dancing Fire on Facebook, and if you liked what you heard, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash bythedancingfire. For as little as $5 a month, you'll help us continue to produce content like this. And you'll gain access to perks like early access to episodes or extra episodes that no one else gets to hear. And if you donate at the highest tier, you'll have access to our monthly AMA, the Elders Council, where you can ask anything you want of the storyteller or the production team, or even request stories that you want to hear. Thank you very much, and tune in next week as we bring another story by the Dancing Fire.